We're going to look together this morning at words found in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so the theme is our future hope. And these uh, great words of the apostle, who himself was nearing the end of his life. In chapter 1, he says he's not sure whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. He says to live for him is Christ and to die is gain. And maybe there is still more work for him to do. And if so, he's ready to do it. But if not, he's ready to depart and to be with Christ. And uh, these Christians in Philippi lived in a a world where persecution was a reality. Uh, The Roman Empire persecuted Christians and many of them died for their faith. And again, he reminds them of their future hope. And it's good for us to be reminded of that. Because the world sometimes crowds us in, the things we've got to do, all the things that busy us in this world. We have problems in life which weigh us down. Sin is a constant enemy and it robs us of peace and joy in believing. And it's possible just to become totally absorbed with the here and now and never to look above that and look to the future, to the consummation of all things. And uh, also to forget the desperate plight of those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who don't have our future hope the hope that is found in Christ. They're without hope because they're without God in this world. Now, when he says our citizenship is in heaven, he's speaking to those who've had the same experience as he has had. He describes it in the first part of this chapter, where he who had been busily establishing his own righteousness and who believed that his righteousness was superior to anybody else's, suddenly realized that it was all rubbish, And he threw away his own righteousness in order that he might receive that righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Christians are those whose hope in terms of our relationship with God is entirely based upon what Jesus Christ did for us. Not what we've done, but what he did. And I wonder if that's true of you this morning. Are you thinking, well, when I die, I hope I'll have done enough to to get into heaven? Well, none of us can do that. There's no way into heaven by what we have done. If there was anybody who might have achieved that, Paul would have been perhaps near the front of the line. But he came to realize that there was no possibility of him being accepted on the grounds of what he had done. And so he counted it as rubbish. He threw it away in order to gain Christ. And so he put no confidence in the flesh, he said, in what he had done. And uh, having uh, received that righteousness from God, he was now wanting to know more of Jesus and uh, to live a, a, a life which was gradually changing him more and more into the likeness of the Savior. So all Christians share that same experience. 
of being righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Every Christian has that same desire for holiness. We, we lament our sin. It troubles us that we, we promise much and we, we do very little and we don't fulfill our own desires. But we have this future hope. And the first thing I want us to see is that Paul makes this great statement. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is our homeland. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to have citizenship. There are people who come to this country uh, fleeing from places where bad things happen and, and they want to live here and they want to become citizens of this country. When you arrive at somewhere like Heathrow, if you're a, a UK citizen, you join one queue. And if you're a citizen of another country, you join another queue. Uh, and if you've been away for a while, when you're coming, you're coming home. This is where you belong. And Paul is saying that Christians belong in heaven. Uh, and it's something which meant a lot to the people who lived in Philippi. Uh, because Philippi was a, a Roman colony. Uh, a bit like Britain has countries around the world that at one time were colonies. They were linked to Britain. Well, Philippi had that link with Rome. And... Uh, People who lived in Philippi thought of themselves as being Romans. They were part of Rome. Paul himself was a Roman citizen. And there were times, for instance, when they wanted to punish him, when he said, I'm a Roman citizen. And he had rights as a Roman citizen. And uh, these people were citizens of Rome. They belonged to Rome. Their names were enrolled in Rome. They spoke the language of Rome. They wore Roman clothes. They were governed by Roman law. They enjoyed the protection of Rome, the Pax Romana. They worshipped the Roman emperor as their saviour. That's what it meant to be citizens of Rome. And it meant a great deal to them. You were either born into it, as Paul was, or some people purchased it. But it was a great privilege. But these people had never been to Rome but they belonged to Rome. And that's the, the picture, really, which Paul is using here about Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Christians who gather together are a colony of heaven. And every Christian is a citizen, even though we've not been there yet. Uh, but we have citizenship in heaven. We've been born of the Holy Spirit. We've been born from above. Our names are written on the roll of heaven and our lives are governed by heaven, by God himself, our heavenly father. And uh, we seek to live according to heavenly standards. We're in this world, but we've, we belong to another world. And that world is more real to us in many ways. And uh, heaven secures our rights, protects our interests. And then we've got many friends in heaven. And uh, one day we shall follow them and we shall be there. Uh, we're told that an inheritance awaits us there that can never perish, perish, spoil or fade. And Jesus said to his disciples the night before he went to the cross, if I go, I will prepare a place for you. There are many mansions, many resting places in my father's house. And there's a place prepared 
for us. And above all, our Saviour and Lord, the Lord Jesus, is in heaven. And one day we shall see his face. One day we shall be in his presence. I wonder whether we think about those privileges of being a citizen of heaven. That's where our citizenship is. And it's, it's all of God's grace. It's all out of his kindness to us that we don't deserve. He's the one who's qualified us to be citizens of heaven. He's the one who's rescued us. He's the one who's brought us out of another kingdom into his kingdom. So when Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, we give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Writing to the Ephesians, he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We've got a foundation, a secure position in Christ. And so we're fellow citizens with God's people. Of course, he's talking to the Gentiles who've been outsiders. We were outsiders, but we've been brought into this wonderful privilege And it's all by grace. It's not because we deserve it, but because of the kindness of God. And Paul is saying that that status and that privilege has already been confirmed. He doesn't say one day you will be citizens in heaven. He's saying our citizenship is in heaven. It's a wonderful thing. It's part of our assurance as Christians that already our citizenship has been established. Where we belong has been established. Uh, and he uses the picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ being in heaven, and because he is there, we one day will be there too. He writes to the Ephesians, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every possible spiritual blessing is ours in heaven, in Christ, he says. And then in chapter 2, he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is seated in heaven, and he's there as our living head. He's there as our saviour. And because he is there, we shall one day certainly be there too. So that this heavenly citizenship is our unalienable status. It's unchangeable. It's secure uh, because of God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, just as the citizens of Philippi thought, one day, perhaps I'll go to Rome. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Those who are citizens of heaven long to be in heaven, long to be in that place that God has prepared, that place that God has promised us. And the letter to the Hebrews speaks about the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It says this about Abraham. He was looking forward 
to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's not talking about looking forward in the sense that we're depressed and we're discouraged and we're downcast and we don't want to be here. It's saying, yes, we know the blessings of God now, but we can't wait to be there where everything will be far better and far more glorious than it is now. And uh, Abraham was looking forward to that city whose architect, designer, and builder was God. Are you looking forward to being in heaven? Again, later in that same 11th chapter of Hebrews, he says, again, about the patriarchs, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is a city prepared. This future hope is real. It's substantial. And uh, there's a hymn uh, that we'll sing later, which speaks about Emmanuel's land. Emmanuel, God with us. There's a land where God is always with his people. His dwelling is with them. And uh, the hymn writer says, the king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. Now we see in a glass darkly, but one day we'll see him face to face. And every Christian says, I can't wait to see him as he is. Another of our hymns says, I look at heaven and long to enter in, yet I hear a voice that bids me come. And so Paul, seeking to encourage these Philippian Christians, says, our citizenship is in heaven. It, it's got the word but at the beginning as a contrast because he's speaking about people whose destiny is destruction, whose God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. There are those for whom this world is everything uh, and uh, all that the world offers, even the most shameful things are things they delight in. But he's saying to these Christians, but you've got a different perspective because your citizenship is in heaven. So that's the first thing. Our citizenship is in heaven. The second thing is this, that we're, we're eagerly awaiting a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, first of all, he says heaven. And then he says someone's coming from there. The Saviour who has returned to heaven will one day come again. So that every citizen of heaven is joyfully anticipating a royal visit. And we have a longing expectation. Christians sometimes disagree over the details of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The main thing is that he is coming. And uh, he's coming uh, to bring to fulfillment all the great work, the redemptive work of God. And uh, so we, we really, as Christians, need to hold together the cross and the consummation. Uh, when we meet around the Lord's table, we break bread and we drink wine and we remember what Jesus did for us in the past. And we do it till he comes. And there's a sense in which, as Christians, we're not sure sometimes whether to look back or look forward or to just do both. Because what Jesus did on the cross and by his resurrection is linked to his coming and to the completion of all that God has purposed to do. And we lose something of the glory of God's purpose if we look to the one and not the other. And to hold fast this idea that this expectation 
that we're eagerly awaiting a saviour from there. Are we eagerly waiting? One day he's coming. And uh, what a glory that will be. What an encouragement to it, to us it is also. Because the one who has been appointed as the judge of all people is our saviour. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that he's coming to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What that means is not to save them in the first instance, we've already been saved, but to bring the completion of salvation, deliverance from this world of sin and trouble, from the work of the devil in all his devices. And uh, so he uses the, the phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's coming is God. He is the Lord. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He's Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. And he is Christ, the one chosen and anointed by God to be the saviour. And he's coming and we shall see him. And we're eagerly awaiting for him to come. Uh, Near the end of the book of Revelation, there are these words. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And then there's this response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Because then we will be finally delivered from sin. We will be vindicated. Christians are despised and ill-treated in this world. But then they shall shine as stars in the universe. And he comes to bestow a glorious inheritance in a renewed universe, a renewed world. What a wonderful thing that will be. And at his coming, the whole church will be united in glory. People from every nation, every family, every language, every tribe under heaven will be gathered together. What a wonderful thing that will be. Yes, we'll be with those great men and women of faith that we read about in Scripture. And we'll be with like those people we've been thinking about this morning who heard the gospel through missionaries who went as we heard the gospel from people who told us that message. And there'll just be this great multitude whom no one can number. And Paul is saying we'll be there because our citizenship is in heaven and the Lord is coming and we're eagerly waiting for him to come. So that believers who live on the day when he comes, they're alive. And those who have died in the Lord will be forever with the Lord. And all saints of all ages will be glorified by all. The day of general resurrection. What a glorious day that will be. Every time I walk through a graveyard or a cemetery, I think about that great day. When those who have died in Christ will be raised. There's a little part of the... It's in Woolworth Cemetery in Newport where a lot of Christians are buried. And it's a place where I particularly think of that day of resurrection. They'll be raised from the dead when he comes. And they will hear his voice. And they will be raised. So our citizenship is in heaven. And then secondly, we're eagerly awaiting a saviour from there. And then he says a third thing. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He speaks about this great bodily transformation which is going to take place when he comes. 
The New Testament teaches the importance of the body. God's saving purposes involve the whole person, body and soul. The pagan Greeks, whose thinking would have influenced people who lived in Philippi, spoke about the body as the prison house of the soul. For them at death, the soul escaped the limitations of the body. And uh, the King James translation here, our vile bodies, is not a good translation. The Greeks thought of the body as intrinsically vile. Um, But he used the phrase, the body of our humiliation, our lowly bodies, our humble bodies, our bodies suited to this world. They will be gloriously changed. They will be transformed. One translation talks about our weak, mortal bodies will be transformed. Uh, Mary, uh, she responded to uh, the news that she was going to bear the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke about the humble estate of his servant. We, we live in this place of humility, humiliation. And uh, we have a body that is subject to passions and to pains and to limitations and a sin's curse. We experience weakness. We experience suffering, sickness. Some have deformed bodies. Our bodies will decay. Uh, death is something we will experience. And somehow it seems to make everything seem futile. But Paul is saying, no, this, this great event when the Lord Jesus Christ comes will be in, involve the transforming of our lowly bodies in order that they might be conformed uh, to the likeness of Christ. They will be like his glorious body. A new body, not, not a replacement. This body changed, this body transformed. And we will truly reflect outwardly what God has already done inwardly. Our experience as Christians that we've been made new in our heart and soul and spirit but we're living in this body which is subject to all the consequences of sin. Um, But then the body, the new body, will be entirely appropriate and consistent uh, with uh, our relationship with Christ and our salvation. Our bodies, Paul says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, but then when he comes he, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies. What a wonderful thing that is. You know, we often experience in this life all kinds of struggles physically, limitations that we experience. And there are those who care for people who are coping with such limitations, and they lovingly care for that person, that whole person, including their body. Because the body matters. The body is us. And uh, one day, those bodies are going to be transformed and refashioned. And uh, Paul, in in writing to the Corinthians, speaks about the wonder of it. He talks about the, the nature of that new body. But this is what he says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That is, the living will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly citizenship, waiting eagerly for a saviour to come. And then this transformation of our bodies. And that's something we need to really take hold of and believe when we're going through terrible times, perhaps a bodily weakness, that this body is precious to the Lord. And when somebody dies and, and we lay their body to rest, the body, is, the body is them. You sometimes hear people saying when they look at the, the body of someone who's died and loved them, well, that's not them. The Bible doesn't agree with that. The Bible says that is them. They are not there. Their spirit is now with the Lord. But that body is precious to them. And they're united to Christ. And when we bury a believer, we sow their body in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not saying at the point that we bury them, that we believe they're now with the Lord, which we do. It's saying that this body will one day be raised. The Shorter Catechism has some really encouraging words. It, it asks questions, and one question is this. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And it says, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, rest in their graves till the resurrection. It's a wonderful insight. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, I, I feel so sad that I've got to leave them here, to leave them alone. And you can say they're not alone. They're still united to Christ. He knows where they are. He knows every part of their being. And one day, he will raise them from the grave. And the next question in the Catechism says, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? That's the general resurrection. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory. That's again the body being raised. Shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. United to Christ. We're eagerly awaiting a say. What will he do? Well, he will, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This happens through the power of God. The power of God who spoke and worlds came into being. Let there be, and there was. This amazing mind of God, this amazing power of God that brought things into being, that knit us together in our mother's womb, that upholds all things by his powerful word, will one day bring about this great transformation. Because sometimes people say, well, how can that happen? Because people die through all sorts of means, some from terrible diseases, some have been devoured by wild animals, some have been burned at the stake, some have been blown up by bombs. How is it possible? And then the body is put in the ground and all the complications there. And Paul understands that. 
And so he says, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. It's a glorious act of God, this great creative God. The word power there is energy. The exertion of his dynamic energy uh, to transform our lowly bodies. So important, isn't it, for us to keep these things in mind. Our citizenship is established in heaven. Our names are written there. We're with our Saviour already in heavenly places. And we need to let our present experience in this world be effused uh, with the light of that glorious reality. And, And to look not only to the fact that when we die we'll go to be immediately with the Lord, but then there is that great day of general resurrection and to be confident in God's ultimate purposes. It's why Paul can be confident that all our present experiences are guaranteed to be for our good. In Romans 8 he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, that is, he knew them beforehand, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That was God's purpose. We would be like the Lord. We would be raised body and soul. And that's why everything else that happens to us works for that good. Because it's all part of God bringing his purpose to bring us to heaven, to bring us to glory and to transform us into the likeness of his Son. And so he says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. In other words, he's already glorified us. It's it's been done and one day the reality will be seen. And so we know that God is working for our good. In other words, everything he's doing is working to make us more like his son. Uh, When he writes earlier in this letter to the Philippians, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful encouragement? You know, sometimes we struggle. We're not sure whether we can keep it up. We're not sure whether we can get to the end of the race. Uh, But we're told there that that he will carry it on to come. He won't stop working in us until the day of Christ Jesus. And so writing to the Corinthians, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, he's not minimizing the troubles we have in this world when he says that, but he's saying in the light of eternity, they are light and momentary, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know, sometimes when we're going through problems, we say, what's the point of this? Can't see anything in this that is positive. Well, Paul says they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And they, they encourage us to look to that future hope that we have. And that's what he says. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is, seen, what is unseen is eternal. Paul knew about troubles himself, and he, he ultimately died for his faithfulness to Christ. But he had fixed his eyes, not on what is seen, 
but what is unseen. So let's keep our hope shining brightly. These things are a great encouragement to us. Uh, And a great incentive, if you don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, to have this hope. Why would you turn away from that? Why would you say, I'm not interested in that? Really? You're not interested in these glorious things that God promises us in Christ? And let's know his presence day by day, helping us, continuing his work, and keeping us looking to that time of glory. I don't know whether you've been watching the Olympic Games Um, but uh, sometimes they've interviewed people who have won a gold medal, or even any medal. And they've said things like this, I've I've been dreaming about this. I've been dreaming about it. They've gone through hours and hours and hours of training. They've gone through pain and injuries and discouragements and disappointments. Why? Because they were dreaming of that moment. And that's all it is. It's a moment of glory. And they... They get the medal, they bite it, just to make sure it's real gold. And, uh, and they've been looking to that moment, and that's what's kept them going. And it's great to see them having that moment of success. But we have something far more wonderful, far more glorious, that is unseen, but is eternal. And as Paul seeks to encourage, encourage these Christians in Philippi, He also encourages us, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. May God encourage us in our future hope.